let's talk about sex. Not in the cosmopolitan headline, 21 mind-blowing sex moves you've never tried kind of way, but rather about the things that are actually going to help make your sex life, your relationship, and your marriage better. According to Dr. Renee Hilliard, a former OBGYN turned sex and love coach, nearly 85% of people have some difficulty with getting their sex life back after kids or struggled during the baby-making process. That means that most of you listening to this episode will find something here you can relate to. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of women, you know, they struggle because sex never was that great, you know, before before having kids. And then after having kids, there's like, oh, gosh, now I have this extra challenge of things that are going to be painful and you know, I have more demands on my time and I'm not relaxed. I can't surrender into the experience. Hi, I'm Sarah, host of the Juna Women podcast and founder of Juna. Our mission here at Juna is to help guide women like you through your trying to conceive pregnancy and motherhood journey. Today's episode is the fifth part of our family planning series, and we're talking all about sex and intimacy. Specifically, during this period of life where you're either trying to conceive, pregnant, or postpartum. By the end of this episode, you should learn some new communication skills, feel more confident discussing vulnerable topics like painful sex, orgasms, sex shaming, and be on track for a deeper connection with your partner. Before we get into the bulk of my talk with Renee, I want to paraphrase a bit of our conversation on the cultural dynamics of sex, specifically about the coming-of-age period, long before any discussions of planned baby-making. While we won't spend a ton of time here, it's relevant to frame the discussion in the right context. Here's an excerpt from the book Girls and Sex, Navigating the Complicated New Landscape by Peggy Ornstein. In their research on high school girls and oral sex, April Burns, a professor of psychology at City University of New York, and her colleagues found that girls thought of oral sex kind of like homework, a chore to get done, a skill to master, one on which they expected to be evaluated, possibly publicly. As with schoolwork, they worried about failing or performing poorly, earning the equivalent of low marks. Although they took satisfaction in a task well done, the pleasure they described was never physical, never located in their own bodies. She continues, The concern with pleasing as opposed to pleasure was pervasive among the girls I met, especially among high schoolers who were just starting sexual experimentation. There's a lot to unpack here, not the first of which is painful sex and viewing sex as a means to an end rather than a mutually beneficial experience. This attitude is pervasive from the time we start to explore our sexuality, and a lot of the work in reclaiming your sex life after having kids is actually going back and revisiting many of the things that have shaped you since adolescence. Here's Renee. So, um, you know, just growing up in this culture, there's so much negative um, things that we take on around sexuality as women. Um, even if we're functioning pretty well, you know, we we grow up in this culture. It's a rape culture where you know, one in three women has had you know sexual assault in their past. You know, a lot of childhood trauma and that kind of thing. But just the fact that women are not regarded as important as as men are in the society that plays into our feelings of of being empowered. And, and a lot of women feel like their place in sexuality is really to please their partner. And they, there's a lot of concern around functioning like their body's a machine. So I have, I've had a lot of patients, so I can't orgasm fast. And I'm like, well, well, who told you it had to be fast? <laughs> you know, that's not the way our bodies behave, but just that, that shame, that deep shame around my body's broken. Something's wrong with me. I can't function the way I want to. It kind of takes you out of the, 
the experience of sex where you're trying to reach a goal of orgasm rather than being in the experience as, you know, pleasurable experience. So I, I saw that a lot of times. On the flip side, which is the perspective that our male counterparts are coming at this from, sexual education is woefully inadequate for men too. Often the only advice they get is the old, make sure you don't get her pregnant. Part of our role in this relationship, like it or not, is working with them to help reframe their perceptions on sex. To me, I didn't realize how much men struggle with sharing their feelings until I got into sex, love, and relationship coaching. But they're taught when they're really young children, between ages of four and seven, they show in um, research studies that boys are taught that sharing emotion, they're either teased for being too feminine or being homosexual if they share their feelings. So they just shut their feelings down. Sometimes they don't even have access to them. They don't know what they feel. So if you try to ask your partner, what are you feeling? It's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't really feel anything at all because they've numbed out so long, but just creating a safe space for them to share their feelings. And a lot of women actually will, will put men down if they share their feelings. They don't realize they're doing it, but they're like, oh, that's dumb. Or, you know, oh, oh, I can't believe you believe you think that that's ridiculous. And, and it's sometimes the first time the man's felt safe enough to share his feelings. And then we kind of dismiss their feelings or, you know, or, tease them or something if they do share their feelings, which can be very damaging. And sometimes that's the only opportunity you'll ever hear have to, to hear their real feelings. So what you're saying is that we as women sometimes don't even know that we're like how damaging the comments that we're making. So what would be a more helpful way of, of like, how do you open up that line of communication rather than make it even though you don't feel like you're teasing. Yeah. Yeah. Just being just being really open and sometimes just sharing our own feelings and, you know, trying to remain mature about it instead of going into this inner child and we, you know, start whining and throwing tantrums and that kind of thing. That can be off putting to men, but to share your feelings in a very mature way sometimes will help them kind of start to open up, but just being very patient with them and not pushing them to, you know, you know, just imagine like it was a timid little little puppy or something like that, <laughs> that you can't just like, you know, barge in there and just start trying to make them open up, but just kind of coaxing them out of their, their shell and, and getting them to open up slowly, slowly and listening and not using it to create a fight or create a trap for them. Just listen to them and honoring their feelings as valid. A lot of times if there's a mismatch in, in desire to conceive in couples, the woman feels that she's right, even though the, the, the other partner has their own feelings and, and they're valid doesn't mean that they they win or anything but it it just means that you know both feelings are valid you can listen to their their feelings and not attack them just because they don't want a child as much as you do or something like that before our trying to conceive journey my sex life with my husband was great but once sex turned into something that had to get done things started to shift Then pregnancy, labor, and delivery, postpartum, and breastfeeding, it ends up being a long time period where sex is certainly not in the forefront of your relationship. So I was curious to ask Renee, what are some of the things we can do to maintain the intimacy and connection during this period of time? After pregnancy, you know, when when you're given the all clear to have sex, it helps if you've kept that intimacy going through, through that whole you know, pregnancy period, and then even the postpartum period before intercourse is is reintroduced, keeping connected to your own sexuality. So you're you're your your first sex partner and your best sex partner. So just keeping sexuality alive in your in your mind and keeping connected to your body in a way 
that um, is nourishing to your system, doing all the self-care stuff. It doesn't have to be anything elaborate, but just, you know, taking a shower where you're present and you can feel the water on your skin, giving yourself hugs, touching yourself in a sensual way, you know, listening to music that kind of lights you up, those kinds of things, or, you know, just even dancing to one song a day, you know, just kind of, you know, swiveling your hips, those kinds of things actually help to stimulate your sexual appetite. But um, also just, you know, you can you can start doing other sexual activities before you're cleared for intercourse too. So not waiting that whole six weeks to even touch each other helps. Um, you know, a lot of times if there's been a period of time where you haven't even touched, when that touch comes, it feels off-putting. So um, just, just trying to start, you know, even immediately postpartum, just doing long hugs and, and breathing together, you know, belly to belly breathing, those kinds of things help to keep that intimacy going so it doesn't get so broken and disconnected. Um, and it's a much harder to bring back once it is. Can you actually go, because you, t- you touched on it earlier and I didn't want to interrupt you, but can you actually just go through some other things that we can do to keep the intimacy there? Sure. Yeah. So, so communication is probably the biggest thing that, you know, um, just sharing with your partner, concerns that you have about, you know, even, even things about body image, you know, just sharing with your partner, how you're feeling about your body and and the worries that you have, that your body may not, you know, return back after you deliver the baby. A lot of times you'll be surprised at, at the way that your partner sees you that you may, may not have even occurred to you. You know, sometimes your, your partner's just in awe at what your body can do. And, you know, that is, you know, it's carrying his child or whatever, you, and he's in awe of your body. And, and just hearing those things from your partner is actually really nourishing to your system just to hear, you know, um, that that he's not expecting your body to return back to, you know, pre-baby um, status. Um, a lot of times we put so much pressure on ourselves because of the things we see in the media and that kind of thing. But, um, but just sharing those kind of fears with your partner, um, just um, setting aside a couple minutes um, a week to do some deep eye gazing, just looking at each other in the eyes, complimenting each other, giving gratitude to to your partner for things that they've done during the week, um, or just you know just even gratitude for the fact that they work long hours, you're putting in hard work so that they can help you know better your finances and that kind of stuff, it actually helps to, um, to share that kind of stuff with partners. And then just non-sexual touch. You know, a lot of women kind of cringe when their partner approaches them with touch just because it's the only time, the only time that they ever touch them is when they're anticipating sex. Um, but just remembering to, to bring physical touch into your everyday, even when it's not related to sex. So long hugs, making out and those kinds of things that we do early on, but we kind of forget once we're in partnership for a while, sometimes that helps. Um, and then, um, like I was saying before, you know, just sending little love notes or texts, um, during the day, just to kind of keep the fire stoked, um, helps a lot. Um, or, you know, even just, um, uh, during that part, um, period of time before you're cleared for intercourse, you know, genital touch and, you know, like hand jobs and, and those kinds of things can help to keep sexual energy going, even if you're not able to have, you know, penis and vagina sex, you can still have sexual activity going on before that. A lot of people wait, wait the whole time, but many women, just because they're being touched, you know, during the day constantly, you know, if they have a, a new baby at home, they're nursing and that kind of uh, thing. So they just um, want periods of time where they don't have to be touched at all <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> um, so just, you know, taking the space and, and just, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So even just getting help from others, you know, just saying, can, you know, when, when your partner gets home from work or whatever, just say, you know, can you just take the baby just for a few minutes and just go for a walk and, and, you know, just be in a uh, kind of low uh, stimulation environment for, for a period of time being out in nature sometimes will help to kind of replenish your system so that you're ready for those kinds of things. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, which is the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the only pregnancy and postpartum fitness and nutrition app with more than 200 pregnancy and postpartum safe workouts. The app also includes a key nutrient to focus on every week. For example, in week 16, Juna recommends vitamin C because vitamin C supports healthy lung development and it boosts immunity and it lowers the risk of developing preeclampsia. From there, we give you delicious recipes that help you get that exact nutrient in your life both quickly and easily. Juna also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises as well as pelvic floor prep to keep things intact before and after labor. We also provide you daily tips to get you through each stage of your pregnancy and are constantly adding more to the experience. Lastly, every week there is a note from me that is relevant to the exact things you're experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears you may have as well as preventing gestational Google mania, the sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. You can find the app by searching Juna in the iOS app store or visiting juna.co. And the best part is when you enter your due date or baby's birthday for postpartum, the app will automatically place you exactly where you're supposed to be. As a Juna Women podcast listener, we are offering you your first 30 days free. This deal is only available through our website. Go to juna.co and when you get to the credit card page, use coupon code JUNAPOD, all in caps. Again, that is J-U-N-A-P-O-D, all in caps. Now, back to the show. We've talked about painful sex before with pelvic floor therapist Marcy Crouch, but that was from a scientific perspective. And while that part should absolutely be attended to if you're experiencing painful sex, there is this whole other mental and emotional toll it can take on a relationship too. For most women find that when they return to having intercourse that they do have some pain. Um, and so it's not abnormal to have some pain, but um, some people it's more than others for sure. Um, and both with vaginal deliveries and C-sections, you can have pain. So um, one thing that can help is 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 doing uh, e- either massaging a C-section scar or doing vaginal massage. You know, if there was a tear or an episiotomy, you could actually do some massage, get some skin-friendly oil like almond oil or avocado oil or something, and just do some um, some massaging of the scar tissue. It helps to stretch the scar tissue and actually helps um, with with pain. Um, but you can um, one, one thing that's really important is to go very slowly. So, um, you know, um, start with touch on the periphery, touching your arms and legs first and kind of moving towards the center is really important just to kind of get your nervous system used to being touched um, in the genital area and then just doing a, a very slow, gentle massage. And I would start, um, I have patients start themselves first and just, you know, start touching themselves in that way first and then have their partner start doing genital massage before they they even start intercourse, because sometimes just the the pressure of you know anticipating intercourse just causes everything to tense up and clench up, and that that makes things more painful. So just reintroducing sexual touch before you even try for intercourse and say intercourse is off the table for the first two times that we do this, but let's just kind of get used to being touched again, touching your inner thighs and that kind of stuff, and then 
and then slowly once you're able to relax and, and kind of surrender then you can go back into having intercourse but just um you know communicating with your partner that it's got to be extremely slow and and gentle and having them check in with you multiple times during um during the process make sure that everything's feeling okay and speaking up and, and really saying you know like i need to stop for a second and you know kind of collect myself or, or do you know do something else for a minute just to you know kind of pause and, and collect myself and, and not being shy to do that helps a lot. It's no secret. We experience profound changes in our sexual and intimate relationships in the first 18 months postpartum, even if there are no physical issues. So what can we do to find and maintain a sexually fulfilling relationship after having kids? One of Renee's suggestions that might surprise you, scheduling sex. They've actually shown that couples that have a scheduled sex day have more sex. Just, you know, if they say, okay, Saturday is our sex day. They, they have, I think, like 20% more sex than couples that just kind of say, oh, let's just happen, let it happen whenever it happened. And and then there's that anticipation building up towards that day. You're like, ooh, tomorrow's sex day. I'm going to wear this underwear. You know, and you pick out cuter outfits and you take a little more time doing your hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff. So even from the morning onward, you, you're always, you know, it's in the back of your mind, oh, this is sex day. So you, you're doing things differently the whole day just to kind of stoke your own fire. So, you know, since we're slow cookers, it probably would behoove us to start early on in the day. And besides the physical stuff like scheduling sex, there's a lot of work we can do mentally and emotionally. So one thing is I do a lot of teaching women to start talking to themselves differently. A lot of us have such funny ideas of how our body's supposed to be, how it's supposed to look, how it's supposed to function, and just being a little bit easier with yourself and talking to yourself like you would talk to your friend. We do a lot of shaming of our bodies and shaming of ourselves and I should be this way and comparing ourselves to others and all this stuff. Um, so just starting with that, you know, doing some mirror time, giving yourself more compliments than criticisms, trying to be your own cheerleader rather than critic helps a lot. And then um, just giving yourself permission to be a sexual being. Um, sometimes just the idea, you know, in society, we have this idea that sexy women are young women, they're thin women, they're, you know, beautiful women, but it's not true. All of us are sexual beings, you know, just, but, you know, we don't have a lot of images that we see of moms being sexual in, in media and movies and stuff like that, or even married women. Most of the sexual images we see are single women, young women, and just kind of reminding ourselves that it's our right to be sexual, that all of us can be sexual, that, you know, we deserve that just to kind of change your inner dialogue that goes on. And then, like I was saying, with the self-care, people think of this elaborate self-care, like I got to go do a whole spa day or whatever. And nobody has time for that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, even if you don't have kids, it's hard to, to you know, put those things in, into your schedule. But just small touch points during the day, just touching your own cheek or giving yourself a scalp massage or a foot massage, being present while you shower and, you know, just being really conscious of the touch when you're when you're soaping your body up or when you're putting lotion on your body breathing into your pelvis if you breathe as though you were breathing into your pelvis that actually helps to relax your pelvic muscles and to increase your sexual energy so you could place your hands on your low belly and take some nice deep breaths through your mouth and that helps to kind of reconnect with your sexual energy and then just um, even you know allowing your fantasy to come in thinking about sex during the day a few times it doesn't take any time to do that but you can just kind of let your mind wander towards that and the more times during the day you let, allow your brain to bring sensuality and sexuality online the, the easier it is when you go to have sex to kind of drop into that space. 
and managing your stress. You know, um, a lot of times we, we try to be perfect. You know, I want to be the perfect mom. So I'm reading every blog I can read and every book I can read on how to be the perfect mother, which I've never seen. I've never seen the perfect mother. I know mine wasn't. <laughs> but um, but just putting that pressure on yourself can, can really increase your stress levels and stress can kill your libido. So just you know, giving yourself permission to, to make mistakes. All of us makes mistakes, but reminding yourself you're a human and that for millions of years, people have been having kids and somehow they survived. So, you know, maybe I don't need to read every single book that's been written on motherhood to be a good mother. One of the things that I found um, is is kind of the antidote to negative feelings is gratitude, you know, so just, you know, journaling and connecting with gratitude and even towards your partner. You know, a lot of times we get in this animosity where our partner's our adversary versus, you know, instead of being our ally or our friend and just, you know, giving gratitude to all the things that they're, that they're doing and just giving gratitude to the times that we live in. You know, there's so many great things that are going on in the world. We've covered a lot here today, so if you didn't take notes, here's the too long, couldn't listen summary. My main thing is just that that having great sex requires intention to have great sex. You know, it's natural, but just like exercise is natural and food is natural, in order to do either of those things well, you have to set the intention to do it and you have to create time to do it and, you know, learn what you need to learn to, to be able to, to do it in the healthiest way. So the same thing with sex is that it is natural, but it doesn't just happen magically. You know, a lot of times we have to create time for it to schedule it and then cultivate sexual energy. And I think that's more important than any toys or positions or lingerie. And that's what all the magazines tell us are important about sex. But but really tapping into our sexual energy and cultivating that is the most important thing with having great sex. And then also just taking the goal of orgasm, not that it shouldn't be a goal, but the main goal should be pleasure and connection and those sorts of things. And we, a lot of times as women, we're there to please our partner and pretend like we're having a better time than we are and we don't want to hurt their feelings. And then they subtly kind of give us the pressure that they want us to have an orgasm. And so we either will fake it or we beat ourselves up because we're not having one fast enough, even though we don't have any definition of what fast enough is. We just kind of keep saying that to ourselves and that takes you out of the experience. Um, but just remembering to connect all your five senses and bring play and fun into it. And, and even from the beginning, you can have pleasure. So even if there is no orgasm, you can have pleasure during the experience. That's more important than than the goal of orgasm, I think, and, and the easiest way to get to an orgasm. And just, just knowing how common it is that people struggle. I think everybody imagines that er, that they're the only one struggling. But, but it's probably 85% of people have some difficulty with either getting their sex life back after having kids or, you know, or struggle during the, the baby making process and all that. It's probably more common than not to have issues, but just to be honest with your partner and communicate and, and try to build that connection. Okay, that's all for today's episode. If you're interested in the finer details and listening to my full conversation with Renee, you can find the full interview on our IGTV channel, at Juna.moms on Instagram. To get in touch with Renee, you can find her at R-E-N-E-E-H-I-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. Renee offers private video coaching so you can reach out to her no matter where you are in the world. If you have questions, comments, or need some more guidance during your trying to conceive journey, please email me at sarah at On the next episode, we'll be talking about infertility with Amy Klein, 
the author of the recently released The Trying Game, and a few other experts in the infertility space. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.